hears a phrase like David and Goliath or the writings on the wall, it doesn't strictly occur in the Bible. Instead, it arises as a shorthand to describe a famous story. Uh, Perhaps press pause, if you like, and read this story for yourself. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, It is the first of Jesus' miracles, as recorded in John's Gospel. And verse 11 tells us the purpose of it. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 11 Uh, Jesus thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. As a guest at this wedding, uh, you can imagine how Jesus might have felt. Um, Do you ever go to weddings and you spot sort of an engaged couple and you know that they're getting married in six months time and they're sitting through the whole thing and it's almost as if they've got a, a clipboard and a pen and they're assessing things. They're stealing ideas for their own impending wedding and they're tut tutting the choices of the happy couple. Um, when the service orders are smudged, they make a mental note not to make the same mistake. It's that, that sort of thing. Now, Jesus is here at this wedding in Cana in Galilee in John chapter 2, and he's like the ultimate bridegroom. And he, he, ha- he has his eyes firmly fixed on his own wedding banquet at the end of history. He longs for the day when he will be united to his bride, his people. And as such, I guess he might be a little bit like an engaged couple at a wedding. You know, he's experiencing this wedding with an eye to his own. Perhaps then Jesus could have sympathized more than most with the master of this banquet from verse 9. He and the bridegroom were presiding over an unmitigated disaster. In modern weddings, if the wine runs out, it's a little bit embarrassing. In the first century, however, it was utterly shameful. It was a, it was a, a reflection on the groom and his family. You know, if you can't provide wine for the wedding, how can you provide for this woman? Um, it was a terribly shameful thing. But Jesus is going to help. Verses 3 and 4, he's called upon by his mother to help. And he does it with reluctance. He does it with reluctance, not because he's not concerned for the groom, but because he, if he reveals his glory in this first of his miracles, it's like he's releasing the handbrake on his ministry and it will set in chain, uh, a a, a chain of events that will lead to the cross, really. So really, for him to reveal his glory here, he's signing his own death warrant. So he takes it uh, seriously and does it nonetheless. So what does he do? Well, he produces the most incredible volume of wine. I mean, verse 6, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's about 600 litres of water that Jesus turns into the equivalent of 800 bottles of wine. And as the master of the banquet calls it, he says it's good wine. It's, It's not plonk, right? Jesus proves himself to be the true bridegroom and the true master of the banquet. And so as Jesus reveals his glory, who is he showing himself to be? He's proving to be the true master of the banquet, the true bridegroom who provides for his bride. Isaiah chapter 25 prophesies about the kind of thing that Jesus does here. Verse 6, Isaiah 25 verse 6, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. 
So here is the ultimate master of the banquet. And, and this in Isaiah 25 is speaking about the, the future banquet that's coming. And on that day, we will toast the death of death. We will celebrate the abolition of sorrow and suffering. So Jesus in little Cana of Galilee in the first century, he's just he's showing us a glimpse of that future glory. He's producing a superabundance of wine as a foretaste of the future that we all look for. Uh, Amos, another of the prophets, promised that when the new age came in, Amos 9 verse 13, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. So here in Little Cana, the Messiah floods this wedding with a banquet of aged wine. That's one aspect of the glory which Jesus is revealing here. Jesus is the bringer of new creation blessings and abundance. But wine also has another connotation in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, wine is associated with blood. In Genesis 49 verse 11, wine is called the blood of the grape. And at the end of Jesus' life, he picks up a cup of wine and he says, This is my blood. In John chapter 2, Jesus transforms water that is used for Jewish purification rituals and he makes it into the blood of the grape. The old cleansing ritual is gone. It's replaced with a reminder of blood. In this way, Jesus brings in his new age of blessings and feastings through bloodshed. He makes us clean and brings us to the ultimate banquet through the cross. The bridegroom from Cana, that little bridegroom, he failed to provide, but not Jesus. And there's a lesson here for all of us. Perhaps, perhaps you're a husband who resonates with the failure of this little bridegroom in Cana. Perhaps you're a boss who's meant to be a manager or a master. You're meant to come through, but the wine has run out and people are looking to you and you look like you don't measure up. Or maybe you relate to this story in a different sense. Maybe you always thought of life as a party and you've gone after satisfaction, but the wine has run out. The wine always runs out. We go after fullness of life and joy and satisfaction, but it doesn't last. We cannot provide the wine we seek in life. But here comes Jesus, the bridegroom from heaven, the master of the banquet, the bringer of all blessings. And he does not merely make up the shortfall. He floods us with a superabundance of new life. How? Through blood. Through his own blood shed for us. And through him we receive the cleansing that we need and the abundance that we want. Jesus, by not even sparing a drop of his own blood, he provides lavishly and lovingly for his bride, the church. And he makes us hungry for that wedding feast to come. See, without Jesus, we're drinking water. With him, it's the finest of wine. Mm -hmm.